Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, I will ask you all to stand and let us again affirm the promise that lies at the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may in the service and in this place be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, phobias, destruction, deceitfulness, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy inheritance. And stand, Lord, of the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. We are grateful to you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it as before with your high and mighty hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48 so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes son, his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The title of this sermon was given, Called to Perfection. So, God has the sun and his clouds and his control that are filled with moisture, which he sends according to his intentions. And he has different intentions. One intention is for the vessels of mercy, and then another intention for the vessels of anger, the vessels of wrath. And this promised commandment to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, is not an offer, it's not an alternative, it is not uh, Christ mocking us. He did not mock. He said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This promised commandment is written in the book of Matthew and is presented to us in the series of sermons of Pastor Arcadi. It is the inheritance of saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not acknowledge the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment, not an alternative, not an offer, but a commandment. We have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person that is expressed in the ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. This is written in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God, or the righteousness of God, in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If we are clothed in the selective love of God, and if this selective love of God abides and dwells in our hearts. 
And the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Again, these are seven unearthly qualities and virtues. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And we have heard that each of the seven virtues of the fruit of virtue contains in itself the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another, and they verify the authenticity of one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God, and they are given to us through Christ. And these virtues we must become enriched with. We can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, and the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And by inheriting these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. How important all of these qualities are, all seven of them. We have defined that in the first quality, in virtue, we have defined the source of all good, which is God. And how can we define, how we've, have we found the source of all good? This is defined by whether a person has been able to be, to find narrow gates in the dignity of a good wife and a chosen remnant of God. If a person is not found in a church that is the chosen remnant of God, then this kind of person does not yet know what is good and or what is evil. How does God define it? Then this is how God defines it, through virtue. We have defined and we have found what good is. We have entered in this good in the face of the chosen remnant of God in the church. Second, we are offered knowledge. Knowledge where we must agree not with what we call good or what we call evil. Because if each of us are asked, do you think this is good or bad? I think this is good. No, this is bad. Someone else might say, we are going to, uh, we're going to challenge one another, even though we are sitting and listening to the same sermon. But listen to one question. We all have different answers. That's why we need to agree with the second quality, knowledge, that God has a teaching that is presented in the mind of Christ. In this mind of Christ, it would not be bad to place this mind of Christ in our heart and with this mind of Christ presented in the format of the teaching to renew our thinking and then, of course, to proclaim it. Therefore, knowledge is to agree that God, through His lips, through His messenger, what He calls good and what He calls evil. Then we come to self-control. Finally, we found out what good is and what evil is. Now we need to have self-control. We need to reject what is called evil and select or choose what God calls good. Furthermore, patience. Having selected what God views as good, God then commands us to look at it and to wait for the fulfillment of what is seen in the Spirit in patience. This is a necessary component. Sometimes we want to receive a gift. Sometimes we want to receive healing right here, right now. We come to pastor for asking him to pray. Why? I don't want to be patient. I, it's painful for me. I don't want to be patient. I want to solve this very quickly as a gift. Let him place his our hands on me and call upon God. Sometimes people say, I believe in prayer. I believe in the church. I believe in you. I believe, I believe, I believe. Pray. For what? A person does not want to suffer. I understand no one wants to suffer. No one wants to be patient. This is difficult. But here, Pastor very interestingly showed how all of those promises, and especially the promise that lies at the door of hope, it can be received only have only waiting in patience and looking at the 
existence of what we wait for in our life. And everything is taken by patience because patience is one of the qualities of God. And God wants us to be in the likeness and image of Him. Therefore, healing, the gift of healing, God wants to receive through the format of patience. Of course, we want to be healed momentarily with a laying on of hands. And God does this as an exception to the rule sometimes. But that church that has uh, wants to be raptured the bride, the bride must be like her groom, resemble her groom. In this quality, patience. We are patient that waiting for what God has shown us and called good. We wait for the fulfillment of what we have seen in the spirit that we call the inexistent in the physical realm as existent. Godliness. In this quality, we continue to sanctify our dedication. Sanctification is necessary in each aspect of our service. Not just, I have sanctified and dedicated myself to God, now God use me. If we do not, through sanctification, keep our dedication, then this crown will be taken from this person. It is a sanctification of our dedication that will allow us to keep our crown. And then, of course, all of this leads us into the atmosphere of brotherly love in which a person comes from the, out of the state of death to, into the state of life. And when we, he comes into the state, he is... He receives the coronation of the love of God, agape, and he begins to have all of the perfections, and he is going to be found in the king's palace. But to be found in this king's palace, we need to be clothed in all of this. And therefore, the selective love of God expressed in the seven unearthly dignities and virtues has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. Depart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. With this, it is the fruit of the selective love of God, contained in the format of seven virtues, that is called to reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And again, we needed to answer four classic questions that Pastor has presented to us and that he has answered. First, what does Scripture say about the origin of the essence of brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? So again, right now we're talking about the sixth quality, uh, brotherly love. Second, what kind of purpose in the demonstration of the love of God in our faith that flows from brotherly love called to fulfill? What condition is necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue in the love of God? And by what signs should we test ourselves for the presence of the love of God agape, which flows out of brotherly love? And so we have stopped to study the third question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill to demonstrate in our faith the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape, which flows from the atmosphere of brotherly love? So, how much does it cost? How much does brotherly love cost? How can we show it? What conditions are necessary to pay in order or fulfill in order to demonstrate this brotherly love. And the first condition that is necessary to demonstrate in our faith the love of God agape and atmosphere brotherly love is a structure of the order of the kingdom of heaven. So the first price in which we can demonstrate brotherly love 
is the order of God or the structure of the order of the kingdom of heaven. We have talked about this, and again, I will talk to tell you that Christ everywhere and always, or the Lord, always pursues the order of God. When He created us, we were created in the full, complete divine order. We have a spirit, soul, and body, three departments, and these three departments, they have their thrones, and despite the fact that they are found in complete order between one another, they have a heart there must be a harmony between our spirit, soul, and our body. This harmony or in this order is also found in the church of God in the atmosphere of the theocratical structure and service. This order is in worship, in praise. This is the order of prayer. There is an order how could we die in the death of the Lord Jesus immersing ourselves in baptisms. There is order when we are born from above and we are born from spirit, water, and to the throne. Always there, there's always present order of God. There is an order how to take the promises that lie at the door of our hope. There is a promise, or rather, there is the order of God everywhere in all creation in the universe. Everywhere there exists the order of God. But when there is disorder in the church, then of course there's it's under the question when we look at surrounding midst. Why do people of this world stumble when they say that people who act inadequately in church and say that our God is a creator, they look side to side, they look at planets, they look at the universe, at the sunsets, sunrises, at the clouds, at the balance, gravity, out of at all this, out of all the noises of this earth, the sound of the waterfalls, the rivers, they look and they say, well, we can't understand this creator, they worship him and they are his children? Is this some kind of parody at the children? This can't be possible. How can this person that has made all of this, how can he dwell in that midst where there is where there is demonic possessiveness? Of course, he is not there in those congregations. Apostles said, spoke very strictly. They call this the synagogue of Satan, very simply. We call, they might be called Baptists, Charismatics, Pentecostals, and so forth. Apostles called it synagogue of Satan. Why? Because in the church, there must be that same atmosphere which we see in all of creation, that, that same beauty, that same harmony, that same order. And then this will be the church of Christ and not a synagogue of Satan. And therefore, the first price in order for there to be atmosphere brotherly love in us, we must have the full divine order in the church. When Jesus gathered with others, he said, please sit these thousands of people in rows, or 500 rows of each, Jesus says. If these were, they come with their big families, how do you separate them? They came as Jews. Place them in rows, 50 to each row. They, for hours, thousands of people sat down, thousands of people, 50, 50 people in a row, and Christ waited for them to be sat down. Why do they need to sit in rows of 50 as our service? We have rows here, and for there to be 50 rows, why was this necessary? In order to create an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit could act. 50 is the Pentecostal where the Holy Spirit feels himself as Lord and ruler. Given that he is about to preach and he is going to be Thamim, the Word of God, then he must create an atmosphere with the Holy Spirit in these 50 rows or to create the order of God 
that demonstrates this atmosphere of God in which the Holy Spirit can lay the word and reveal this word, unseal it, and open these words in our heart. Therefore, order is a very important and the first component of the price. The second condition or the price that we are continuing to study, and we have studied for some time now, is the second condition that is required to show in our faith the format of God's love, agape, that it comes from the ability to behave toward one another in the boundaries of the covenant of salt, which in practice means to demonstrate holiness and brotherly love. We will talk about holiness that is found in the covenant of salt. There is holiness that is in the covenant of blood. This is the holiness of Christ, or the holiness of Christ, not my blood, his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, and this is his holiness. He says, my dear, let us meet in the covenant of salt. Well, what there, Lord? There is going to be my holiness, which you will demonstrate, which you are going to manifest. Because when we were born again, how are we born again? We were born again through the resurrection of Christ. By grace, we are saved. If this, this is not from us, this is God's gift, God's gift, God's gift to us. We are born not in death, but in through the resurrection of Christ. But for some reason, death always stands near resurrection. Because when we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we receive life. Now, life, the word life, must transform into the word resurrection. If life which we receive does not become resurrection, we lose it. And life doesn't enter into heaven. Resurrection enters into heaven. In order to go from life to resurrection, it is necessary to go through death, through baptism, water, Holy Spirit, and fire. That's why if we were born again, and if we think that we are guaranteed everything, when we were born again, we received the format of life that must transform into the format of resurrection, or we must place justification in circulation that we have received as a gift, and we must gain righteousness of God in us. And therefore, today we're going to talk about holiness that dwells where? In the covenant of salt. Where? In the covenant of salt. In the covenant of salt. God is pre- leads the preparation for His chosen remnant. And therefore, Mark chapter 9, verses 49 through 50, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. So it's very interesting, and if you have heard, and we've heard and listened to this when Pastor was talking, this capability of salt, be seasoned with salt and be seasoned with fire. That turns out fire does not burn. That fire also seasons with fire. Seasons meaning sanctifies. We fire to season with fire, season with fire. First, we do what with salt? We are seasoned. We sanctify ourselves. We place our old man into prison. We do not allow him to expand in us for what so that then we can be seasoned with fire or to be sanctified by fire which does fire does not withhold anyone fire then destroys but first it is impossible to be destroyed by fire it is impossible to be seasoned with fire if we are not seasoned with salt that's why salt is a good thing and first it withholds it withholds the enemy within us and then through fire it destroys the enemy within us we needed to answer four questions talking about the holiness that dwells where in the covenant of salt where in the covenant of salt what is in the covenant of salt it is holiness the holiness that discovers itself in us the holiness of God not my holiness this is his holiness but now I begin to identify it within myself I begin to discover it in myself and begin to express it 
So the first question, what does holiness represent of the love of God that comes from the atmosphere, brotherly love, and the function of the covenant of salt? We must define it. Second, what purpose is the holiness of God called to fulfill that comes from the atmosphere, brotherly love, and the function of the covenant of salt? Third, what price is necessary to pay in order to demonstrate the fruit of holiness in the demonstrating of brotherly love that discovers itself in brotherly love in the covenant of salt? What is its price? And four, by what signs should we test ourselves that we truly demonstrate the fruit of holiness in the functions of the covenant of salt in relations with one another? So signs that we have holiness where in the covenant of salt. In a certain format, we have already studied the definition of the properties of holiness, and therefore we will turn to its purpose. But before, we will in short words be reminded of the definition of holiness holiness that dwells in the covenant of salt again on Tuesday we are studying this but when I was printing this he says we need to repeat it again and in these uh, short seven definitions he again reminds us what the essence of holiness what is holiness the holiness that dwells where in the covenant of salt and so the first Again, we'll go over them quickly, and then we will go on to studying the purpose, the purpose of holiness, why we need holiness first, but first we need to define it, what holiness is, and then we'll talk about what is its purpose and why we need it. First, the holiness of God is in our heart, identifies the essence of God in our heart, so holiness allows us to see God in ourselves. The holiness of a person in a relationship with the Holy God is determined by the identification of our origin from the holy seed of the word of truth, relating us to the lineage of the Holy God, making us able to be sanctified and create righteousness. Isaiah, Revelation chapter 22, verses 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. I think I've skipped a page. Let me go back one. Revelation chapter 22, verse 11. Well, don't worry. I am an observant man. We won't go veer too far off topic. Revelation 22:11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. But he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So here, the Lord tells us that we must discover in ourselves this holiness. Holiness, it must somehow be manifested. If we were born, if we were born from the word of truth, then in us, we must have this truth manifested. And Jesus had related to this wonderfully when disciples came and said, there's many disciples that loved you. He smiled and he said, every he had smiled and they were in shock that so many had loved him there was a catastrophe a collapse everyone had loved you we are only there's only 12 of us loved bankruptcy he smiled and he said my dear every plant that my father has not planted will be destroyed how do i define how do we define by according to the good works do we demonstrate holiness in the covenant of salt how do we demonstrate it jesus how do we demonstrate holiness in the covenant of salt what kind of good works must we do he said these are he, these are good works except the one who came in the name of god the messenger of God, accept him. This is what good deeds become, come from. And they, one after another, began their test. 
The test they did not accept, and that's why with ease they said their relationship toward him, toward Jesus, through this he momentarily defined that this plant was not one that the Father had planted. And he constantly tested his disciples, and they said, we have no one to go to, we have no one to go to. They had someone to go to, we don't have anyone to go to. You, Lord, we have no one to go to. That's why the others had left, because they had others that they desired to go to. Second, the holiness of God in the love of God is defined in our heart. Is defined in our heart in the protection of the sovereign rights and interests of God from the unlawful encroachment of the flesh on His holy love, agape. Just as King Uzziah had done, who had went to the temple in order to... to offer a, a Romana censor, but he was not a priest for which he was for which he was punished. When this King Uzziah had died, at this time the Lord began to speak with Isaiah and had cleansed his lips. It turns out that this King Uzziah, he had represented our thinking or the substance of the soul that had not yet gone through death, his intellect. And what did Uzziah do? He went to the temple in order to be a priest. When our a soul goes through death, it will never encroach into the temple in order to be priestly. It will come and worship before the temple and give its sacrifice to the priest so that the priest, the substance of the Spirit, could then carry this prayer and fulfill their functions as priests. It understands that it's an intellect, as soul. It doesn't have the right to do this. There must be a certain order. Therefore, the holiness of God, it protects God from all encroachments of who our own intellect. Third, we again are defining the definition of the holiness of God that is where? In the covenant of salt. And so the holiness of God, third, in the love of God, is defined in our heart as the exalting of God in His holiness above all other gods in His holiness. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And now, if I have this holiness, holiness of God, holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt and atmosphere of brotherly love is determined by his priority in listening to the preached word. There shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. When I have no foreign God, then God as Lord, with a big capital letter, is exalted in my life. Fourth, again, we are defining the definition of the holiness of God that dwells where? In the covenant of salt. Fourth, the holiness of God in the atmosphere of brotherly love is defined in our heart according to the presence of an unchanging nature of the holy laws of God, His commandments and His statutes. If my my heart has his laws, his commandments. This means that the Lord has given me his holiness, and this is not it. We can look on Romans 7 12. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. And the holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt is determined by the readiness to listen to the holy word and the holy laws and in the holy commandments of God with the readiness of their immediate fulfillment. Luke 8 18. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. So, the holiness of God is presented in relation to us. He gave us His holy laws and His holy commandments. Our holiness in relation to Him in the covenant of salt, we begin to listen and we begin to immediately fulfill these commandments. Fifth, I will remind you that we are talking about and defining the definition of the holiness of God that dwells in the covenant of salt. Fifth, the holiness of God in the 
Select the love of God is determined in our heart in the exaltation of the justice of God, which reveals itself in the manifestation of righteousness. So, we must exalt the justice of God in our life. Isaiah 5, 15-16, People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. And so, the holiness of a person in relation with God is determined in our heart in the manifestation of the admiration and humility before the will of God. If I have the holiness of God that I must demonstrate in the covenant of salt, I am going to be humbled and I am going to worship and admire before the will of God. For what? We are humbled and worship in order to magnify, in order to exalt God in His righteousness and justice. And if we, you, I, he, her, if we can exalt through humility, through humility, through humility, through humility and worship before Him, if we can magnify and exalt Him in His justice and in His judgment, God said, I am going to lift you up in your time. First Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Why do we humble ourselves? So that He may exalt us in due time. He will exalt us in due time through our humility and justice, in His justice. Again, He may exalt us in due time. James and Peter say that through humility we can be raptured, we can be lifted up, and we can be exalted because our humility and worship before His will super exalts Him as the God of righteousness and the God of justice. Sixth, the holiness of God and the selective love of God is defined in our heart and the guiding light that separates the light from darkness. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 5, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so, the holiness of a person in relation to God in this component is determined in the correct relationship between the rational capabilities of our wise heart, which determines the divine darkness with our renewed thinking, which determines the divine light. Psalms 19, verses 1 through 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. When we proclaim the faith of our heart, this means that the heavens declare the glory of God, and His hand, firmament shows His handiwork. If I have the heavens, if I have the firmament, if I proclaim the word of God in my heart, this means I have the heavens and the firmament that declare the glory of God. Day unto day utter speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. Seventh, the holiness of God in the selective love of God is defined in our heart in righteousness and holiness of truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth. And therefore the holiness of a person manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt in relations with God is determined in our heart in the manifestation of the purity of the truth that dwells in our heart. Deuteronomy 23, 14, For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you, and therefore your camp shall be holy, and that he may see no unclean thing among you, and turn away from you. So, for this it is necessary to, of course, for this to not occur, it's necessary to set aside the former way of life of our old man, to renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, and to be clothed in the new man who is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of truth. So, our new man is created on the foundation of truth and righteousness and holiness. And scripture says this, that in order to be clothed into the new man created by God or who forms, who was formed by the truth, now, a question. In all churches, 
this, these terms of righteousness and justice are preached differently. Now, imagine how a preachers f- format their congregants. People oftentimes say, it doesn't matter where you go, it just matters to have the Lord in your heart. Well, it's important to have the Lord in your heart. But when we listen to, spend hours listening to the person, that person that we listen to, he forms my my new man, that my spiritual man accepts his function on the foundation of the truth, the truth about righteousness and the truth about holiness. If this person who was not sent by God or who was not called by God or who was selected by a majority of votes, if he was appointed in this way, he forms the inner man, saints. He forms the inner man. Preachers, through the truth, must form the inner man. Why? Because Scripture says that we will be closed into the new man who is created in righteousness and holiness through the truth, in the truth, which turns out that the truth, it forms a person. It forms a person. It forms his inner man. And now imagine if a person were to be clothed in what has been formed in his spirit. Sometimes there will be a very scary picture that is painted. This will be a dead religious person who resembles devil. And he's going to be surprised and say, my God, what is this? Who is this? What is this? He's going to say, what? This is that which for many, many years was formatted by preachers yes first we must we must pay attention to and ask who am i listening to second what am i listening to and three how am i listening i am focused on the third one how i listen i've already received an answer who i listen to our pastor the man of god what i listen to the word that that can destroy the power of death and replace it with the power of life. And now I'm working at one aspect, only at one aspect, how I listen. How do I come to to church to listen? How easy I need to just control this aspect. You know, in some churches when you come, who says what, this says what, how do they hear, who knows? And this is terrifying. And so the second question, we have been reminded of the definitions of the holiness of God that dwells where in the covenant of salt. And now we will take a look at the purpose that is called to be fulfilled. Purpose, the holiness of God is called to fulfill in our relations with God in the covenant of salt. To study the purpose of the holiness of God, we will be doing this with simultaneously with the purpose of the holiness of man, cooperating with the holiness of God, because it is holiness manifested in the functions of the covenant of salt that is called to be the legal framework for all forms of a relationship of God with man and man with man. It follows that this, it follows from this that the purpose of the holiness of God's love in the functions of the covenant of salt in an atmosphere, brotherly love, is multifaceted and multifunctional. I will mention seven components in the purpose of holiness which dwells in the covenant of salt according to which we can judge of the purpose of holiness in relations with God. And so, answering the first question, why do we need holiness in a covenant of salt? First, the purpose of holiness in the covenant of salt is called to give a holy person the legal right to see God with his own eyes. Holiness in the covenant of salt gives us the right to see the Lord. Means that we don't see the Lord when we were born again. No, we see Him in the covenant of salt, in the covenant of rest. There we will see the Lord, how He is. We might see through a dimly lit glass, but there in the covenant of salt, in the covenant of rest, we will see how He is. Let us take a look at what it means to see the Lord. To see the Lord 
through the holiness that abides in the covenant of salt. At one point, Pastor Brother Akadi had spoken with some young people who who did not listen to their father who were in another country. And he led one service and they were under the control of their mother who left the church, who caused division. She was called a so-called vessel. And he asked them, why don't you acknowledge, why are you in complete control of your mother and don't listen to your father? And they said, our mother had seen the angel of the Lord and our father did not. And pastor said, very interestingly, the donkey also seen angel of the Lord, but this did not make it spiritual. They were astonished and they said, well, we didn't pay attention to this. He said, yes. Today we are talking about the covenant of salt in which dwells the holiness of God. And there we must see the Lord and the angel of the Lord and to see the Lord. Because to see an angel, well, angels were seen, but this did not make anyone spiritual and did not near a person, draw a person near to God. But to see God, this does draw near to God. A question, how do we see God? Very interesting answer that we will look and let us be patient until the end. There's not quite a lot left. I will read very quickly. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. In the phrase, pursue peace with all people in holiness, this verb pursue means chase, pursue, strive, mastery, which indicates the expenditure of time, money, and energy. Therefore, when Christ in his Sermon on the Mount says that people who are pure in heart will see God, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God in Matthew chapter chapter 5, verse 8, he means that for the opportunity to have a pure heart, these people paid the price demanded by Scripture in the manifestation of peace and holiness, for which there is never and under no circumstances a price reduction. And the cost or condition for the opportunity to have a pure heart, for these people, it was a necessity by the cross of the Lord Jesus to die to their people, to their Father's house, and to the corrupt lusts of their soul which gave them the opportunity to separate from the disorderly and wicked people in order to reveal the functions of the covenant of rest combined with the function of the covenant of salt necessary for cooperation with the holiness of God. The soil of a pure heart defines the kindness or the goodness of a wise heart, which has the ability to accept the wisdom of God in the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven by inclining your heart's ear to listening to the word of God in order to grow it into the tree of life, which grows the fruit of righteousness. Phenomenal. Wonderful. It turns out that I can see the Lord when I see His qualities in my own life. When we offer the fruit of righteousness, and how does this begin? What does this begin with? Scripture says, pay attention here, that we must have holiness in order to see the Lord. And then pastor told us, what does it mean to have holiness? We must have a pure heart. To have holiness to see, a pure, to see God means to have a pure heart that will allow us to see the Lord. Have a pure heart. Have a pure heart through death in the Lord of Jesus Christ to cleanse the soil of our heart from all foreign inclusions. And when we cleanse our heart from all impurity, then we have planted in 
it the preached word through which God has cleansed our heart and then this through the same source of the same word is planted in our heart cleansed from dead works and it offers its fruit and when the tree of life in me in the eden of my heart offers fruit we through this fruit are able to see the lord and when a person will see the lord in this way through what through the fruit that he has offered and this person will never betray god he will never betray god but a person who saw an angel of the lord he won't just betray they have already betrayed god and they have no communication or relationship with god but in the love of god in his holiness those who have this holiness and purity they will see god through the fruit of righteousness that they have offered second we are talking about the purpose of the holiness of god and the covenant of salt why we need it second it is called to serve for a person as the sworn promise of god that he will fulfill all that he has promised so god in this holiness in this covenant of salt reveals for us his oath he will fulfill all that he has promised us through the preached word psalms 89 verse 35 once lord says once i have sworn by my holiness i will not lie to david god swore by his holiness here pastor says pay attention when making a covenant of peace with man god swears by his supreme property which is his holiness just like people in certification of any dispute swear by their supreme what they consider above all else how they say i swear to my mom i swear by my land i swear to and so forth just depending on the culture the the person they swear by something that they consider supreme and god says i swear by my holiness oh lord you have placed a knockout at everything there's no, nothing else that is supreme he says i swear i swear by the spilled blood of my son this is not i swear i swear to my mom or i swear to my son it says, I swear by the spilled blood of my son and his broken body. I swear. And everyone's lips are then sealed. This is not, I swear, I swear to my son or I swear to this. For this, he was killed. He says, I will do this myself. I have sworn by my holiness. I have sworn by my son. Hebrews 6, verses 16 through 20. For men indeed swear by the greater, what is greater, their land, their mom, or so forth. And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And therefore the two immutable things that define the immutability of divine holiness, which God has sworn to, are the blood of the cross of Christ, brought before the face of God in the sanctuary of our heart, and the broken body of Christ, brought into the sanctuary of our heart on the golden table of bread offering. Scripture said that he swore by all things that were brought into the temple. 
or was brought into the temple, the blood of the animal and as well as the breads that represent for us the broken body of Christ. These items were brought into it and they went before us so that we can have hope that God has promised or God has swore by the body of His Son. He has done this for us. Take a look at how Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, thanks God for this oath, which he swore to Abraham, which was revealed in Jesus Christ, because he became an oath for us. God has sworn to give us this promise. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 75. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. So he has redeemed us through the sacrifice that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, his holy covenant. So we are talking about the holiness that dwells where? In the covenant of salt. And God says, I will remember my holy covenant, the oath which I swore where? In the holy covenant which swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear all the days of our life. Therefore, God has swore here. And he says here that he has fulfilled this oath. And take a look here. Here the father, John the Baptist, blesses the Lord Jesus and calls him a deliverer, redeemer the sacrificial lamb that is going to deliver. Why? Because the Lord has remembered his covenant and he remembered his oath. He remembered his oath, meaning as Christ has said, I am going to fulfill all of that which is written about me. He did not come to resurrect, do good, to heal. He came to fulfill what was written about him in the scroll. What was written about him in the scroll? That God has promised through your two immutable, through two immutable things, your broken body, and blood. Therefore, when he drew near, he began to be horrified, to be horrified and be horrified. And the disciples understood him less and less and less. Many things we can understand only in the covenant of salt because it is this sworn promise, this sworn promise of God that is revealed there in the covenant covenant of salt. Third, the purpose of holiness of, in God's love is called to give us the right to power to give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever with the following words. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The image of this vision expressed in the format of an allegory shows in four living beings represented in four cherubim and in 24 elders the remnant chosen by God in the face of the wife of the bride of the Lamb. So, this is the four, again, the four living creatures 
and 24 elders represent the remnant chosen by God. The word is to come and the phrase holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come indicates the factor that the sworn promises of God in which he swore by his holiness that he would fulfill them are not yet executed. So, so this is, was and is and is to come is tied to the future. Is to come is tied to the future. He is coming. He will fulfill this promise. He is to come for His saints who are going to demonstrate their holiness in the covenant of salt. This promise binds us to the future. Second, the actions in this vision take place not only in the dimension of the invisible, but also in the dimension of time, the dimension of the physical. Third, that in anticipation of the fulfillment of the sworn promises of God, the format of this praise relies on the holiness of God. Fourth, in anticipation of the fulfillment of the promises of God concerning the door of our hope, God's chosen remnant names the non-existent as existent. And fifth, in worshiping God, God's chosen remnant in laying their crowns before God demonstrates before the face of God the structure of the divine order in His holy theocracy. We acknowledge the birthright in Him, and we lay our crowns before Him. And therefore, the four cherubim and twenty-four elders say about themselves that they were redeemed by the blood of the cross of Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that the Son of God made them kings and priests to God, and that they will reign on the earth. Revelation 5, 8-10 Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We know for certain that in Scripture, any number that is divisible by seven without remainder is an image of the fullness representing the body of Christ in the face of the wife of the bride of the Lamb. The four cherubim and twenty-four elders make up a single whole in the face of the wife of the bride of the Lamb in the number twenty-eight. If we divide it by seven, then we get the number four without remainder. Therefore, the six wings possessed by the four cherubim refer them not to some myth mythical personalities, but to people in earthly bodies. The number six is the number of men. So these cherubims, these elders, they abide in us, and we are them, and they abide in us in certain functions. Let us take a look. Do we have the 24 elders and four living creatures? But they all must also have specific functions. That is why they, these... Uh, with two wings cover their faces and with two wings their bodies as evidence that in earthly bodies it is impossible to see the face of God. And the fact that they fly with two wings suggests that they are endowed with the powers of Thumim and Urim, or they call the inexistent as existent. So it turns out that these cherubims, or these four living creatures, having these wings, they use them according to their purpose. They don't fly with the six wings. Why do you need six wings? You can fly on two wings. We've never seen birds with six wings. There's two wings. Correct. In order to fly, there are two wings necessary. But if we have cherubims, the first two wings must cover our face. The other two must cover our body. 
and the other two wings allow us to call the inexistent as existent. If we understand that we are unable to, in that position, with that decay and with that deadly soul that we have, to see the face of the Lord, but for the fact that we are flying and that we proclaim the Word of God, we are His heavens and His firmament, because His heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmaments declare His handiwork. We declare, we fly, we declare, we declare, we call the inexistent as existent and with this closing our bodies in the death of the Lord Jesus and closing our faces. And this allows us to correctly fly and be found in the presence of God. We must contain all of these substances in the death of the Lord Jesus but through the proclamation of our lips we are going to be able to fly. And therefore, the 24 elders, what do they show? What functions do they show? We talked about how we must have these functions. Not just we are the 24 elders of the four living creatures, four cherubims. Well, they manifest themselves in different functions. And therefore, the 24 elders show the power, power of what? The power of wisdom. The power of wisdom is shown in passing judgment of a just judgment, which the remnant chosen by God in the face of the wife of the bread of the Lamb is endowed with. While in the image of the four cherubim, the power that the wife of the bread of the Lamb is endowed with is shown to carry out the judgment, to carry out the judgment of passed by the 24 elders. Therefore, the 24 elders' enemies sit on the throne and they have the authority the authority or the wisdom to carry out a judgment. And the four cherubim have power to bring this judgment to fulfillment. That and that other substance we both need. One substance, for example, we will say, well, show me in practice in life, or very simple in life. What do you mean in life, in life? Don't communicate with a person who drinks in the same, who drinks of another well. And the 24 elders will say, we can't. And the four cherubim say, don't communicate with him. Don't invite him anywhere. Don't invite him to your business appointments. Don't invite him. This is what the four living creatures say. Those elders say, don't. And the four living creatures will give us the power to not stretch out our hand to him. And when a person stretches out his hand to this kind of person who is, um, who he must not stretch out to, he does not have this quality of the 24 elders and the four cherubim. This will be victory once we have this. Sometimes people say, well, show me in life and practice. Where are these 24 elders and 24 cherubim? Well, here we go. Here's an example in life that we have just shown. Lacking saltiness and the dignity of holiness that determines the holy love of God, we can never give God a foundation to empower us with the authority of His holiness, both for passing judgment on the wicked and lawless people and fallen angels and for bringing this judgment in execution. So without the covenant of salt and that holiness that dwells in the covenant of salt, we cannot carry out a decree or bring it to fulfillment. This will be done by other saints, but not us. If we are not found in the covenant of salt and do not demonstrate holiness in the covenant of salt, others will be found who will be able to do this. Fourth purpose of the property of holiness in relations with God and one another is called to give God the basis to walk among His people in order to give us the powers of His holiness from foreign people. In order to give us rains in due time so that our land shall yield its produce and we could eat bread to the full and dwell safely in our land. 
And for the achievement of this goal, two sides are called to participate, God and man, where each of the sides is called to fulfill their role established by God for himself, as well as man who has entered into a covenant of peace with God, which places a responsibility on man in three things. So three things in the covenant that allow God to walk among us. And I'll remind you of the purpose of the holiness of God that dwells in the covenant of salt. Why is it needed in this fourth purpose? God must walk among us. And there are three components that Pastor offers us in Scripture. I will read two places of Scripture that allow God to walk and move among us. First, our camp must be holy so that he may see no unclean thing among us and turn away from us. Second, we must honor the Sabbaths of the Lord so that in this manner we could affirm the covenant of peace which we have stepped into with God. And third, we must honor the sanctuary of our God with tithes and offerings according to the requirements of his statutes. These three things, they allow God to walk among us. And all of these three substances must be clearly in a person who demonstrates holiness. We're in the covenant of salt. And there are two places that tell us how that God is walking among us. First, Deuteronomy 23, 9-14. When the army goes out against your enemies... Then keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. And therefore your camp shall be holy that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. And here is an additional place of scripture that presents the requirement that the fulfillment of which is called to give God the basis to deliver us from our enemies and walk among us and be our God and we his people. This is Leviticus chapter 26, verses 2 through 12. I will read selectively. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably, and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest, and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and be your God, and you shall be my people. And so the image of our camp is our congregation, which we must not leave so that we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves from every sin and restore our broken relationships with God. And so the first requirement so that God does not see any unclean thing among us and turn away from us 
So from these two places of scripture, we right now are going to talk about the first requirement that God will walk among us in our camp and for him to not find any unclean thing. And so the first requirement is that God does not see any unclean thing among us and turn away from us is comprised of washing our body with water outside of the camp at night and bury our refuse in the ground so that God could not see our refuse and turn away from us. And therefore, in the images of the laws, all that comes from the body of a person is impure, including sweat and other expirations. Under what ha- occurred at night, which was considered in the images of the law as evil, was a spontaneous eruption of semen during sleep, which a person could not control. To cleanse oneself from such defilement, a place behind the camp was established where a person would, could go to wash his body with water in order to cleanse himself of the existing defilement. On the one hand, in the spiritual sense, our words are the seed of either truth or falsehood, depending on the source of their origin. On the other hand, our words are the steering controls that control us, like the steering wheel of a ship which guides the ship in the midst of any opposing winds. Under the image of refuse, which had to be buried in the ground with a shovel, we should consider any deed that is good in our opinion which comes from the motives of the flesh. The place chosen outside the camp for washing uncleanness and for bearing refuse is the image of Calvary on which the Son of God was crucified for our sins. So he went outside the camp taking our sins, our shame, all of our defilement. He left the camp and this whole abomination, he pierced it on the cross, taking it upon himself. Uh, you can't carry it out of the camp in any other way. You must take it upon yourself. And to show outside of the camp the relationship of the Father to all of, to all of this. And take a look. Pastor, er, the Father said, I will, I've selected my son so that I can show in my son how I look at the old man and on all of that which comes which comes from the flesh. For us to understand how God looks at the defilement and that we must, Scripture tells us to go outside the camp. It is difficult to go out with a shovel outside the camp. We are talking about ordinary things. I'm glad that no one has a smile because you are spiritual people. You understand what this is talking about. When we have some kind of desire from the flesh, we have this shovel, not just our prayer tongue, but we have a shovel. How do we define something is of the flesh or not? Someone comes up to me and says, I have the desire to preach. I said, this is from the flesh. He says, 99%. I said, 100%. 100% from the flesh, because when God is going to call to preach, He is going to call to preach. This is 100% wrong and what this person was thinking. Go up and say, I want to become an usher. I want to come and accept saints and to place them in their place. And I will con- when they spit at me, I will continue to serve them. This is 100% going to not be from the flesh. There are certain services that no one wants to be found at. The flesh doesn't lead people there. No, of course, people, the flesh can bring, and we will say, 
I will do this if I'm ordered this, if I get this, if I do that, and if I'm able to, to serve. No, pastor says, come to service as as going coming to to your post. There must not be any foreign impurities of the flesh. Therefore, we must have these components so that when God walks among our camp, He does not see these unclean things. Therefore, through he conducts his he conducts his order through his messenger. This is a, this this is the first requirement. The second requirement is comprised of honoring the sabbaths of the Lord, in order to affirm the covenant of peace that we made with God upon the sacrifice of His Son. To honor the Lord's Sabbath is to not ignite a light in our homes and not do any work. Why is this necessary? So that God can walk. We must not have any unclean thing, and we must honor the Sabbath. And third, we're going to talk about how to honor God with tithes and offerings. But the second requirement is very interesting. To honor the Lord's Sabbath is not is to not ignite a light in our homes and not do any work. To not come to our intellect, because this is darkness. To not ignite a light is to not run to our intellect and not to do any work. What kind of work are we talking about? A work, the inspirator of which is our own flesh. This we must not do. We must honor the Sabbath. Not just come to church. This is very good. But honoring the Sabbath is also to not ignite our intellect and not do any work with our flesh. So to not use our flesh, but to use our body for service to God. God says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says, willing bring your bodies. There is a land of Canaan and there is a land of Israel. The land of Canaan is that where the Philistines are and the land of Israel is that where these Canaanites have been cast out and now there dwells Israel. And he says, this land, this land, this is the body that you shall bring. The body in which the Holy Spirit rules as Lord and ruler brings us to the promise, but the flesh is that where a person has not heard the promise and tries to with good works, with his good works, with his preachings, using all, wasting all that he has, and he says, burn me for the Lord, and he is burnt. And with this, he goes to hell, and he says, he thinks that he is going to dim there, but he continues to burn there. There are no fire extinguishers there. There is eternal fire in hell. Welcome. The third requirement is comprised of honoring the sanctuary of our God in the face of our congregation with tithes and offerings and according with the requirements of his statutes. It is a fulfillment of these three requirements elevated to the rigorous and unchanging law of God that is on our part, the fruit of holiness without which none of us can see the Lord or inherit salvation. And this allows God to walk among us. If we have these three conditions or requirements, if we have cleansed our heart from any unclean thing, if we honor the Sabbath and honor God with tithes and offerings, God says, I will give you a great reward. And the reward that is going to be given to a person, which will give God a reason to show His holiness inside us and outside us and fellowship with each other, consists of seven components. This is the reward that awaits us if we have those three requirements or components. These are seven rewards. The Lord our God will walk in the midst of our camp to deliver us and deliver our enemies into our hands. God will give rain to our land in due time and our land will yield its increase. God will give us the opportunity and ability to eat our bread and live safely on our land. 
Fourth, God will send peace to our land. We will lie down and no one will make us afraid because he will drive the evil beasts out from our land. The sword will not go through our land and our enemies will fall before us by the sword. Fifth, God will look favorably on us, make us fruitful, and will multiply us. Six, God will be firm in his covenant with us and will set his tabernacle among us, and his soul will not abhor us. And seven, God will walk among us and be our God, and we will be his people. Pay attention here. The Lord required of us three, three, three things. He gave us even more. Take a look. Can you imagine how wonderful it is to serve such a God? He says, fulfill these three requirements, and then God gives us even more in abundance. We have a little bit of time, and we are going to talk about this first reward. The first reward, if we allow ourselves to demonstrate holiness in the covenant of salt, and we will withhold from every undefiled thing and to honor God in His Sabbath. And therefore, the first reward or first component of our reward is comprised of the fact that the Lord our God will walk in the midst of our camp to deliver us and deliver our enemies into our hands. As we already know, under the image of the camp in which the Lord God will walk in order to deliver us from our enemies and deliver them into our hands is the congregation of saints headed by a man clothed by the Holy Spirit with the authority of the fatherhood of God. When this is present, God calls us the camp of God. If this is not, he calls it a synagogue of Satan. To test that such a person represents the fatherhood of God should be based on his moral state and according to his sermon, which contains the fullness of the commanding teaching of Christ, designed to destroy the power of death in our earthly body and in its place erect the power of life. Who are our enemies? On the one hand, our enemies are our lusts, which are at war in our members on the side of the old man against our innermost man. On the other hand, our enemies are carnal Christians who, strengthening themselves with their own righteousness and the deeds of their own virtue emanating from the flesh, rejected the righteousness given to them by faith. The walking of God in our camp is the vigilance of God in the temple of our body over the word that proceeds from his lips in our lips, so that it will be soon be fulfilled. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the first reward. The second component of our reward is comprised of the fact that God will give rain to our land in due time, and our land will yield its produce. Under the image of the given reward should be considered the promises grown in our hearts, the revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit, which will make us living witnesses to God, spreading to the ends of the earth until we see the Lord returning for us to rapture us to heaven. So, the Lord will allow us for our land to produce fruit. How, this is how we talked about how we need to see the Lord. We need to see the Lord to allow, we need to see the Lord, to see the Lord, we need to have our heart cleansed. Then we need to place the word in this heart. Now we need to grow the seed of the word. And of course, this isn't just on Tuesday, on, on Friday and Sunday and Tuesday. It is watered. It is watered. Why? So that it can offer fruit. And when we offer fruit, then in this fruit, we are able to see the Lord. The third component of our reward is comprised of the fact that God will give us the opportunity and ability to eat our bread and live safely on our land. At the same time, 
A reasonable question may come to mind. If God sent rain to our land in due time and it has already grown its bread, then why can't we eat it in full? So if God has given us bread, then why can't we eat it in full? This can happen in the spirit. God can give bread and a person can't eat it to the full. He is not satisfied. He walks around hungry. After this kind of table that we receive here to go home and to find some kind of information on the internet, I understand maybe needing to use the internet for information about business, but not for looking for other preachers. One of the rewards that we will have, a person will receive bread and he's going to receive the ability to be satisfied and be filled with this bread. The reason why most people cannot eat the bread grown in the soil of their hearts to the full and live on their land safely lies in their wrong motives. When the revelations received about the imperishable wealth are used by them to acquire perishable wealth and personal fame. This must not happen. When we accept the word of God and we accept it as we want it and distort it, God spoke the bread, the spiritual bread, and we try to transform it into a physical person is going to always be hungry because he is always going to feel this hunger and therefore he is going to run around from conference to conference and to search and say look at this video look at that video dangerous source people say well take a look at this Take a look at this video that another preacher posted on YouTube. Well, friends, this is the blessing that we receive here in our church to eat bread and to be filled in the house of God. This is the reward of God. We must use it. The fourth reward is comprised that God will send peace to our land. We will lie down and no one will make us afraid because he will drive the evil beasts out of our, from our land and the sword will not go through our land and our enemies will fall before us by the sword. The peace that God sends to our land is a promise related to our inheritance which is contained in the covenant of peace that God had made with Abraham. And for God to send such peace to our land, it is necessary to be with him in the covenant of peace which became the inheritance of Abraham through the righteousness of his faith. The righteousness of Abraham's faith consisted in the fact that he believed the promise given by God and began to consider himself dead to sin and alive to God, calling the non-existent promise of a covenant of peace with God as existent. And then, God cast and drove out these beasts and the sword did not go through the land of Abraham. And they said, our father Abraham, if, our, if your father was Abraham, then you would be doing the works of Abraham. But your father is the devil. And this is what he said to the Jews. Therefore, if we truly have our Abraham as our father and we do as he did and we look at what he looked at and to call the inexistent as existent, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, God has said that I will be among you and this will be your reward. Fifth, the fifth component of the reward is comprised the fact that God will look favorably upon us, make us fruitful and will multiply us. Isaiah 51 verses 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed, blessed him and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. 
for law will proceed from me and I will make my justice rest as a light for to the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look on the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner, but my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. The sixth component of our reward is comprised of how God will be firm in His covenant with us, will set His tabernacle among us, and His soul will not abhor us. The God of Israel said, The Rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. So, God is going to place His dwelling place among us, and when He does this, He, when God says, I will place a tabernacle among you, He says, I am going to throw the th- thorns away. Therefore, when the church calls on God for them, for God's glory to be revealed, It calls upon sanctification, and in the church will begin the cleansing, a very painful cleansing. And the seventh component, we will pray. The second component of our reward is comprised of how God will walk among us and will be our God and we, His people. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 38, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. So, to be our God is for the land of Canaan to become the land of Israel. And we will help him do this, and he is going to be able to do this in cooperation with us. We're in the covenant of salt through his covenant. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to be found to be found in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you that in the name of the covenant of blood and on the foundation of the spilled blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, you have allowed us today, through hearing your word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to be lifted up to heights higher than us, from which we can break all evil and sin that binds us. We thank you, Lord for your holiness that you demonstrate us and that you have demonstrated us in the covenant of blood in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these two immutable things. And we thank you, Lord, for your oath when you have sworn in these two immutable things. You have sworn by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and His blood spilled for us. We thank you, Lord, that this is your oath 
This is your oath, these two immutable things. This is the great anchor that goes behind the veil of the sanctuary. And this is the wonderful anchor that holds us and that affirms us in you. And we are grateful to you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that you were able to pour out your love, your love of God, agape, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who has helped him to be taken up on the cross. And this Holy Spirit is with us today. And now allow us to demonstrate your holiness that we have received as a gift of grace and the covenant of blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Allow us, Lord, today to see it in the covenant of salt. Allow us today in this place to demonstrate before you in the proclamation of our lips the presence the presence of the authority of wisdom that allows us to carry out a decree for the old man, decree against the old man and all that hell represents and to bring it to fulfillment so that we can have the right to call you holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you that you have allowed us and give us the right to call us and to magnify you in your holiness. But before you are magnified in your holiness through our lips, allow us to be humbled before you. Allow us to tremble before you so that you can be magnified in righteousness and judgment so that your holiness, your judgment, and your justice can be fully satisfied. We thank you that Jesus on the cross first and foremost satisfied you. And when you were fully satisfied, you were able to satisfy us, men. Allow us, Lord, in this holiness to satisfy you and to satisfy your holiness. And you, Lord, demonstrate your mercy to us. Demonstrate your reward. You have said to Abraham, Abraham, I am your reward. And we, Lord, want this reward. We want for that promise that you have placed at the door of our hope for you to hide it in you and to give it to us along with you. We will receive this reward in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ, when we meet in heaven. And we thank you that you are our reward, our groom. Lord, you are our reward. You you are our goal through your Son, Jesus Christ, and in your Son, Jesus Christ. You have made us. You have made us accessible to this reward. We thank you for this great might of your word that you have allowed us today to look upon you and see you, to see you, Lord, in your creation, to see you in your divine order, to see you and hear you in the church of God through the sermon of the preached word of God, to be taught to see you in each child of God that is born. We thank you that we see you in our brothers and in our sisters in Zion. And this does not allow us to offend them. This does not allow us to hold any bitterness or resentment, any kind of doubt. Our hearts are pure because we have seen you. We have seen you in your word. We have seen you in the saints. We have seen you in the church. And we, Lord, according to your mercy, want to see you in ourselves as well. And therefore, Lord, allow us today, through the word of God, to continue to cleanse our land and continue to sow your seed there. And we ask you for that tree of life that grows in us 
for it to offer fruit. It's that in this fruit, we are able to see you. And so that the angels and the creation of God that look into the church can see you, can see you in this fruit that is offered and grown. You have given them the great privilege to see you in your church. And you have given us privilege to see you in our spirit. To see you in our words. To see you in our actions. To see you in our mannerisms. To see you in our garments. To see you in our thoughts, to see you in our motives. You have said that you will allow us to see you because those who are pure in heart will see you. And your holiness will allow us to see you. We truly have known that you answer your anointed one from your holy heavens. And we ask you as a land that is thirsty, as saints who desire not just to hear new revelation, new word, but as saints who have a need and whose heart is ready to the acceptance of your revelation that revelation that is going to be sown in our heart and that will serve for us and give us the opportunity to be clothed in this word. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to hear that word that forms that forms our inner man, our thinking, our actions. We thank you for that truth that we hear through your anointed one, which forms our innermost man in whom we will be clothed. And we, Lord, are comforted in you. We are comforted because the truth about righteousness and the truth about holiness, which we hear of, it comforts our inner man and he is satisfied and he grows offering fruit and worshiping God in this fruit that is offered. We thank you for this word, and we ask you to continue to pour out your rivers upon us, your last rain that will prepare us and your church to the kingdom and will prepare us to meet with you. We again want to affirm for the power of death in our bodies with the noise to be cast out into the underworld and to in its place let the resurrection of Christ reign and so that life that we have accepted as a gift of grace can become the resurrection in our life because in heaven there will be nothing that is defiled that will enter we leave all of this here on earth with the earth which you will burn with fire in your time and we, Lord, leave all of this here today. We thank you for your mercy and for your might in your word and in the Holy Spirit who dwells in this place. Our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.